Would you turn to the 74th Psalm? Where'd this come from? Okay. I like it. Psalm 74, and before I read this psalm, you'll notice it says it's by Asaph, a masculine, an instructive psalm by Asaph. And this is not the Asaph that lived during David's time. This is some 400 years later. He was either a descendant of Asaph or this is a title given to those who wrote the Psalms. And he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Look in verse 7. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. Speaking of the holy of holies, they have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. Now, can you imagine how grievous that must have been? And when I read this psalm, I could not help but think this is the way a believer feels about sin in his own heart and in his own life. Now let's read this psalm together, Psalm 74. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? Remember thy congregation which thou hast purchased of old the rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, this Mount Zion wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, but now they break down the carved work. Thereof, at once, with axes and hammers, these famous men, speaking of the destruction of the temple, they have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They've defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There's no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom. For God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Isn't that unusual how he speaks almost with such despair in these first 11 verses of what was taking place? And then he says, God is my king of old, eternally working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. 
Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. And gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. The day is thine. The night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders or the boundaries of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Remember this, that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove. And the church is called his turtle dove in the Song of Solomon. It's talking about his people. O deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove unto the multitude of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Have respect unto the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are all full of the habitations of cruelty. O let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy Praise thy name. Arise, O God. Plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increaseth continually. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in Christ's name that we might have your presence and your blessing and that you would speak to our hearts from your word, both here and when we meet once again. Lord, all we ask is that you would not leave us to ourselves but that you would speak that your gospel would be preached and that we might be given ears to hear forgive us of our sins for Christ's sake bless us by your grace for Christ's sake unite our hearts together to fear thy name in Christ's name we pray The psalmist does not say, how come this has happened? How do these people have the power to do what they have done? Look what the psalmist says. O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture now he recognized when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed the temple he realized Nebuchadnezzar was nothing more than God's pawn doing God's will that's true of everything and he recognized God in them being cast off and he says oh God why hast thou cast us off forever why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? 
Now, what Asaph says would seem to be contrary to eternal security, doesn't it? Why have you cast this off? Why have you cast this off eternally? Why, is you, why are you smoking against us in anger? Now, someone could read that and say, well, can a true believer be cast away eternally? Well, we know from the light of the scriptures that's not the case, but he's speaking of how he felt. He's speaking of how he felt. And he felt like God's anger was smoking against him, against all the people of Israel because of what had taken place. And he felt as though he was being cast off. But he reminds God that we're the sheep of your pasture. Look what he says in verse 2. Remember thy congregation, which thou hast purchased of old. Now look at the argument he makes. He says, we're your congregation. You purchased us. He understood salvation in the blood, didn't he? He understood that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Somebody says, did Old Testament saints believe stuff like that? Sure they did. They believed what we do. Believers have always believed the same thing. And this is the way he argues for the Lord to have mercy on him. You purchased, purchased us of old. Thou hast the rod of thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. This Mount Zion, wherein thou hast dwelt. He's talking about the church that God has redeemed. He says, why would you cast us off? He says in verse 3, Lift up your feet, direct your steps unto the perpetual desolations, even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in your sanctuary, your dwelling place. How must that have grieved them and the psalmist here when he saw the enemy come into the temple of God and break it down? The holy of holies where God's name dwelt. They were witnessing this being torn down by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. Look in verse 4. Thine enemies, God has enemies. That's a solemn thought, isn't it? God has enemies. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations. They set up their ensigns for signs. They're, they're saying, this place is ours. A man was famous, verse 5, according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees, his strength to do that, and these same people who lifted up axes upon thick trees, they, now they break down the carved work thereof at once with axes and hammers. And he's talking about the destruction of the temple. They come in with their axes and their hammers, and they destroy everything we know. Verse 7, they cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the, the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. Now look at this lament. We see not our signs. We don't see any indication of your blessing upon us. We feel isolated, alone, forsaken. 
There's no more any prophet. We don't have any word from God. This is that famine to be dreaded, a famine of the words of God. He's once again speaking of how he felt. Neither is there any among us that knoweth how long. None of us. We, we don't know what's going on. Have you ever felt that way? You don't know what's going on. And that is how the psalmist felt at this time. When he saw what the Lord allowed to happen. And like I said, you can, you can see where a believer, a real believer, can feel like this is what sin feels like in himself. Verse 10, O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? How long are you going to let them get by with this? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Now remember who the, na the name of the Lord is who he is. It's his glorious person. And the psalmist is watching the enemies of Christ blaspheme his name. And he loved his name. It grieved him at his heart. He says, how long are you going to let this take place? Now, you know, we see uh, that the psalmist knew that whatever took place, the Lord was in control of. He was in control of. And he says, how long are you going to let this go on? Verse 11. Why withdrawest thou thy hand? Why aren't you doing something about this? This is his question. Even thy right hand, pluck it out of thy bosom. Do something is what he's saying. Do something. Now, are we allowed to pray like that? Sure we are. Sure we are. We realize he is in absolute control of everything, but we're still allowed to pray, Lord, do something. Do something for me. You know, salvation is what God does for me, not what I do for God. It's what God does for me. Do something. Don't let things continue as they are. Now he almost uh, switches gears in verse 12. It's almost like he's speaking like everything is great, which everything is great. Even though it doesn't appear to be great, everything is great. I love what Scott Richardson said many years ago, and it's one of my favorite statements that I've ever heard a man make. Ever since I heard the good news, I've never heard bad news. Verse 12, for God is my king of old, eternally, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Now, while I've been lamenting about all these horrible things that are taking place, God's working. He's my king. He's my eternal king. And he's working his salvation in the midst of the earth. Even though everything seems so terrible, he's working. And that is what we rest in, who he is. He says in verse 13, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. That's talking about the parting of the Red Sea. Isn't that, think about that actually literally taking place, because it did. 
The sea is divided. They walk through on dry land. God delivering them. That's the gospel. And he reminds himself, says to God, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Who are these dragons? I really don't know. I've heard <laughs> or read where some said they were dinosaurs. I don't know. I, I don't know what these dragons are, but I know this. God broke their heads. And whatever opposition they gave to the people of God, God broke their heads. Verse 14, thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces. And uh, everybody that I read, well, not everybody, but most of the people that I read say this is metaphorical language with regard to Pharaoh, the great Leviathan, the great enemy of Israel. God broke his head at this time and gave us to him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. While they were in the wilderness, God provided for them. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood and driest up mighty rivers. Remember what the way the Jordan was parted? Now look, listen to this statement. I love this. Now he had been speaking in, in such uh, grief over what he saw. But look what he says here. Verse 16. The day is thine. The day is when we can see. It's thine. But you know what? The night also is thine. That's everything, isn't it? Things we see, things we cannot see. Things we're aware of, things we're not aware of. Isn't that comforting to know that everything is his? Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Now the borders are the boundaries. Whether a national boundary, a physical boundary. And I like this. The boundary God makes when he says here you will go no further. He sets the boundaries. He's determined when you're going to die. He determined when you would be born. He sets the boundaries. I love the way this uh, psalm has just changed him us. He, he's speaking in such laments, and now he speaks in such confidence of the God of glory working salvation in the midst of the earth. You've set all the boundaries. You have made summer and winter. Physically, we love summertime. Wintertime, it's of the Lord. But I think what this is talking about more than anything else is even the summer in our experience and the winter in our experience. You look at trees right now in the winter. Do they look alive? No. Is there life? Yes. What about the summertime? The leaves, the comfort. Well, he made them both. And he's in control of them both. Verse 18, remember this, 
that the enemy hath reproached, O Lord, and that the foolish people have blasphemed thy name. Now here is what he's upset. He's not, he, look what the enemy are saying with regard to your person, your name. They're blaspheming your name. They're reproaching your name. Now, what would make someone feel this way? Because they love his name. They love who he is. And if I can hear him blasphemed, his gospel blasphemed, and say, well, you know, okay, I don't love his name, do I? If I love his name, I'm going to feel like the psalmist did at this time. They're blaspheming thy name. Verse 19, oh, deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove. Now, in the Song of Solomon, Christ calls his bride, his church, his turtle dove. A name of endearment and love. And the psalmist says, oh, deliver not the soul of thy turtle dove and the multitudes of the wicked. Forget not the congregation of thy poor forever. Now he realizes, and I realize, and you realize if you're a believer, we're the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's every believer, the poor. Now, here's the verse I really wanted to get to. I wonder if you've ever noticed this. I wonder if I've ever really entered into this. Have respect under the covenant. Here's what I'm asking you. Have respect unto the covenant. He doesn't say have respect to me. He says have respect unto the covenant. This is the only real plea that I have. This is why I'm asking you to hear me. This is why I'm asking you to do these things. Have respect, have regard to the covenant that you made. Now, I hope every one of us can pray this prayer from the depths of our hearts. Have respect unto the covenant. Now, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Let's see what covenant he's speaking of. I'm sure this is a familiar passage of Scripture with, both of, with most of us, but I sure love this passage of Scripture. Have respect unto the covenant. Now, this is David speaking on his dying bed. You know, if you knew uh, you were going to die today or very soon, it would probably change your attitude about things, wouldn't it? You'd see things in a different light. Well, verse 1 says these be the last words of David. David's dying, and he knows it. He doesn't have much longer. These be the last words of David. And look what he says in verse 5. And this is the covenant he's saying have respect for. Although my house be not so with God. That's a grim realization, isn't it? 
David could look at his family and it was a mess. He had terrible sins going on with his family members. And he had the um, grief of knowing deep down, it's my fault. God said, because of my sin, the sword is never going to depart from your house. And he said, this is my fault. Although my house be not so with God. Now, there were some who were so with God uh, in his house. There were people who were believers. What about Abigail? What about Solomon? I could name a lot of people in his house that were believers. So I think what he's saying, as much as talking about his house, he's talking about this house. This house. Although my house be not so with God. Sin. Sin in my house. Although my house be not so with God. Don't you know that's so? Though my house be not so with God. Yet. 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 In spite of that. Yet. He hath made with me. Now notice the language. He doesn't say we made this together. He said he hath made with me. An everlasting covenant. An eternal covenant. A covenant that was made with me before the foundation of the world. When I was given to Christ and Christ took full responsibility for my salvation as my surety. And my salvation was secure before I was ever born. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. Now that is what the psalmist is saying, have respect to that covenant. Have respect to the covenant. Remember me in the covenant. It's the same thing as Paul saying, Oh, that I may win Christ and be found in him. That's all I want is to be found in him in that everlasting covenant. Have respect to the covenant. And let's go on reading in verse 5. This everlasting covenant is ordered in all things. Anybody know whose car that is? Thanks, Chuck. It obeyed you. Um, ordered in all things. There's nothing unsure about this. It's already been ordered in all things and sure. You know what? 
If I'm in that covenant, my salvation's for sure, isn't it? It's for sure. If Christ died for my sins, my salvation's for sure. If God has given grace to me, my salvation is for sure. Ordered in all things and sure. And I love what David says after this. He says, for this, this everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure that God made with me is all my salvation. Not 99% of it. That's all my salvation. And not only is it all my salvation, this is what I desire. This is what I want. To simply be included in this glorious covenant that he made. And David said he made it with me. This is ordered in all things and sure. And then he ends up this, this statement with um, this unusual, unusual statement. Although he make it not to grow. Now those are David's words. Although he make it not to grow. Now, the only way I can understand that passage of Scripture is, yes, we believe in growth and grace. Scripture says grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We believe in growth and grace, but you know what? My salvation does not grow. How's that? It's already complete. It's already complete. I am complete in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great place to be? Now, do you understand what the psalmist meant back in our text in Psalm 74, verse 20, where he says, Have respect unto the covenant. For the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Isn't that an apt description of the world that we're living in? The dark places of the earth. Full of the habitations of cruelty. Oh, let not the oppressed return ashamed. That's talking about God's people. We are oppressed. We're oppressed with ourselves, with our sin, by the world. Oh, let not the oppressed return ashamed. You know, if Christ saved me. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. It's called justification. I've got nothing to be ashamed of. i got no skeletons in my closet. It's all good. If Christ died for me, I've got nothing to be ashamed of. Oh, let not the oppressed return to shame. Let the poor and needy. How often does that, come, that phrase come up in the Psalms? Poor. I do not have anything to recommend myself that comes from me. And I have great needs. The poor and the needy. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. The name of salvation. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise, O God. Now, I don't know whether... He is referring to the resurrection, but isn't that the answer to our salvation, his resurrection? Arise, arise, 
O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Forget not the voice of thine enemies. The tumult of those that rise up against thee increaseth continually. He's asking the Lord to do something. This continual rising up against thee, but you know what? It's not going to be forever. Because the Lord is going to return. Behold, I come quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.